Welcome to the Artist Notepad, where we explore artistry, we talk life, and we talk knock knock. Who's there? David's here. And I'm Jack. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Tan and Chill, where we are going to discuss the divisive film Joker. Um, and joining us today is a special guest, and it's his second appearance on the show. You already know who it is, guys. It is Jonty Cornford. Jonty, how's it going, my friend? It's yeah. going good. Thanks for having me on again, guys. No Appreciate worries it. at all. I'm, Pleasure. I'm Pleasure. sure you're on your the edge of your seat after that brilliant um, introduction. <laughs> Um, it, but Can't yeah, wait let, to talk about this movie, man. Absolutely. It's going to be... I hope I hope it will be better than that intro. Um, but it, it sounded like we had different ideas of what was going to happen there, David, when, when you said knock, knock, because normally you say I'm David. So I thought maybe you want me to say no, no, who's no, there. Yeah, and yeah. then you get yeah, out. I yeah. thought, oh, you're really clever. Yeah. And then you didn't say anything. <laughs> no, it's, just, it's the pause on the Zoom. It's the I was like, oh, okay. for me the timing was perfect. Yeah. So maybe I just edit it together and make it sound really, really yeah, good. Just yeah, just fix it in post. I'll be yeah, fine. just fix it in post. Yeah, no yeah, worries yeah. at all. But yeah, as we said today, we're going to be talking about Todd Phillips' film Joker, starring Joaquin Phoenix. Um, yeah, yeah, brilliant film. We're going to be doing this review slightly differently this week because. Uh, it, our, our current system or our previous system of reviewing films is long and not always the most entertaining. So we're going to be doing more of a uh, general view of the film and try not to go um, scene by scene, line by line, shot by shot, frame by frame. Um, yeah. David, what, what do you think about this decision? I think it's a wise, wise move. I think this will make things a lot more interesting, hopefully for you the people listening at home as well. So Recording in progress. Whoa. Did you guys hear that? Yeah, that was new. Yeah, that's a new feature. Uh- <laughs> for my consent. Don't worry, I consented. We may continue. Um, but yeah. we're going to start off with just sort of a um, our opening thoughts of the film. Um, I- I'll also sort of give a bit of a breakdown in terms of who's involved as well as Looking at the music um, from our fantastic composer Hilda, I've I can't remember what it was. Hilda <laughs> Gathner Dottir, first yeah. try. Commit, commit. Fix That's it in post. Now on. Fix it in post. Yeah. Um, uh, as well as yeah, looking at sort of the characters and the significant scenes and the themes and meaning behind the film, which I think is that that last bit is probably the reason why this film is divisive because people are being. Uh, some people I feel are quite selective about what they want this movie to be about rather than what I think it is about when you look at it from a um, non-biased point of view, um, which is very interesting because I think the reason why this film is so divisive is a reflection of the political climate that we are in at the moment. And that's it, it kind of did its job in that sense. I'm sure that when Todd Phillips was making this film, he was absolutely aware that it would be divisive and not simply um, heralded as a brilliant piece of cinema, which certainly some people do feel. Um, but yeah, let's let's sort of just go mm. into it because that stuff's going to come up as we go. So as I said, the film is directed by Todd Phillips. He also was one of the writers on the film, along with Scott Silver. Um, and then there's also credits that go to Bob Kane, Bill Finger, 
and Jerry Robinson, who those three guys had huge influences on the comic book character Joker, which of course this film is based off the DC character Joker. Um, other than that, there was a number of different producers, but as I said, the music was done by Hilda Gathner-Rotir, cinematography by Lawrence Scher, film editing by Jeff Groth, casting by Shana Markowicz, and I could continue going on, but these are the main people that we've got to thank for um, a really, what I think is um, a, a definitely notable piece of film. Maybe maybe we'll go with notable for now without giving away too much. But um, yeah, the cast, who, so the crew who worked on it are incredibly talented. And um, Lawrence Sher, who did the cinematography, also did cinematography for Godzilla, King of the Monsters, which you can say what you like about the film, but the visuals are pretty stunning, um, as well as for Hangover. Those are probably the two biggest things. Um, Hilda oh, my favorite movie. Gautier also worked on Chernobyl, Jokes. which the score for that is also fantastic, as well as Sicario. Um, 2015. So they've been involved with some with some really uh, high high quality work um, in terms of their contributions to other films. Um, Jonty, our film guru. I don't know if you've got anything to comment in terms of the uh, the crew that were involved. Do you have any sort of knowledge of these guys prior to this film? I mean, I I always knew who Todd Phillips was uh, mm. from you know The Hangover and a few other comedies. I didn't realize that the composer had worked on Chernobyl. So there you go. Because yeah. I love Chernobyl. Yeah, didn't yeah. know that. There you go. No, I did a bit of research into there it when I when I first heard this score because it is absolutely phenomenal. Oh, and it's fantastic. It and was, Chernobyl's. It, it would have been a, a well. crime if it did not win the Oscar for best original score, which it did, which is good. Um, and I'm glad this film got recognized for something. Um, I don't think it deserved Best Picture, which it was also nominated for. But um, I do think it absolutely deserved Best Score. Like, no doubt in my mind. I don't know if anyone really could, like, so- make a solid argument for something else winning over this. It has one of the most emotive scores um, that I've ever come across. So, David, do you want to take us into what we're going to talk about next? Yes, Let's go to, like, thank you for the breakdown, Jack. Um, let's start with opening thoughts, gents. Um, I think we want to give this honor to our guests. Any opening thoughts of, um, yeah, the film? Anything you want to start off with, John T? Yeah, I mean, this, Jack and I have actually talked about this movie um, outside of uh, the context of this podcast. Mm. And I think right. um, it's interesting. And the reason I, bring that up is because I think the last time we talked about this movie, Jack, I was pretty negative about it. <laughs> and I think oh. since then, those thoughts have changed a little bit. And the, the problems that I had with it then are still there. But I yeah. think having revisited it, revisited the movie and thought about it some more, I think I, I still think there are some problems, but I think I've come to appreciate some elements more so than I had. Mm. It was what, like probably almost three or four months ago now, Jack. It was a while back. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I, I, I don't think it's a perfect movie. There are, there are plenty of problems that I have with it, but I think particularly the final act um, is really interesting and I think doesn't get enough credit as it should for some of the mm. things that it's doing. So uh, I'll leave it at that because I don't want to get into it in too much detail. Um, yeah, those are my sure. opening thoughts. Mm, that's very intriguing. Sweet. I'm excited to hear what you've got to say later on, Jonesy. <laughs> David, do you want to go next? Well, 
I I don't know these negative sides that you guys are already you guys already had a discussion about and like I'm I'm very interested to see what these negative um angles or elements are but for me I think it was a brilliant film. I think it's a film that even though there's so many moments where I cringed or like it made me kind of curl up inside mm-hmm. the overall experience of like the start to the end was so like captivating for me i really enjoyed the film um you you briefly mentioned the music but i really like the music too um i think walking phoenix is just acting is just it's amazing it's next level it's crazy like they say when an actor plays a psych psych like psychotic psychopathic kind of role like a crazy role that's when like you can really i don't know like shine or like show like flex your acting yeah and i think yeah i think joaquin did it amazingly so i'm interested interested to see where's the like you know um the negative disappointing us yeah the negatives so mm. yeah that's my opening thoughts yeah cool um so i still very clearly remember when i watched this film for the first time i've only seen it twice today and the last time excuse me, the last time I saw it was in the the theater. And I've been wanting to watch this ever since the theater, but sort of haven't. Um, And I think part of the reason why is because many of the films that I think are really, really good films and pieces of art, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say I enjoy watching them. I I really value the experience, Mm. but for me, and I've talked about this before in the podcast, for me, one of the biggest compliments I can give to a piece of art is how strong of the of a feeling it generates within me, particularly when, well, especially almost certainly when that feeling is exactly the film at uh, the the feeling that the film is aiming to produce within me. And right. one of the highest compliments I can say about this film is that I feel like I feel exactly how Todd Phillips wants me to feel, which is an incredible mm. sense of unease, confliction, guilty sympathy, and unnerving connection with Joaquin Phoenix's character. Um, right. I hate how I find him so relatable at times. I hate that. It disturbs me, but he absolutely is for me. Um, and I I appreciate so much the um, exploration of mental illness, which isn't, in, isn't cookie cutter. Um, and I think people wanted it to be cookie cutter and that's why they're not happy with it because it doesn't fo- follow the script of what a mentally ill person in film is supposed to be. Um, and I really enjoy that. I really enjoy that it pushes boundaries. I really enjoy that it, that it takes me out of my comfort zone. I really enjoy the acting performance, the score, how everything just has me on edge, captivated in the most horrifying way. Um, yeah. At the same time, there are absolutely negatives um, or criticisms to be made in this film, but I don't think that those criticisms are the ones that critics have raised. I think the, the criticisms that critics have raised are straw man arguments to try and sort of, um, I, I don't know, sort of like smear campaign this film um, for whatever reason. And yeah, I, 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 
the criticisms seem like they're coming from a place of censorship rather than anything else. Um, And I don't like that and it angers me. So, um, yeah, I I really, I I really like the film. I don't think it's perfect, but at the end of the day, I think it achieves everything that it's trying to achieve. And I think all the criticisms are saying like, you didn't do this. And it's just, and, and I feel like Todd Phillips is probably sitting there being like, Oh, I didn't want to do that, <laughs> but but yeah. like the critics are trying to not not all critics, obviously. I'm referring to a large portion of how critics responded to this film. Um, I, I feel like the reaction is just like, well, you didn't make the film that we wanted you to make, and that, and so we're gonna just try and smash you for it because hopefully it will scare people away from making films that push boundaries like this ever again. Um, and this mm. film very nearly did not make the big screen. It almost got cancelled on more than one wow. occasion um, and it has been one of the most profitable movies that Warner Brothers has made for a long, long time um, and it very nearly didn't hit the big screen. So, wow. yeah, bravo to Todd Phillips and bravo to Joaquin Phoenix. Um, yeah, I definitely so have we- criticisms, but that's that's my general thoughts, I think, is mm. that definitely a positive for me. Yeah. Can I, can I just jump in real quick as well? Yeah. I I love that you brought up the critical response to the movie as well, because I actually think that the critical response that this movie got is almost as interesting as the movie itself. <laughs> yeah, And that's not, that's not uh, a negative criticism on the movie. It's just that I find it fascinating. It's almost a representation what, of the movie itself. Exa- exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I'd love to get into that as well at some point because Absolutely. it's, just, it's the- fascinating. Yeah. This might this might be like slightly off script now, but then how about because we've already started to talk about it, let's maybe go into what the film did really well and like start mm. sharing thoughts on that and then get into the criticism of like what the yeah critics and like people who've seen the film say, say about the film. Well, David, you, you clearly had sense. the most, um, uh, how should I say, unblemished positive review of this film. So why don't you start off with talking about some of the positives that you, you find in this film? Hmm. Okay. Um. Well, as much as, I don't know what exactly Todd Phillips was trying to portray through the film. I think there's a lot of like obvious themes that he, he like taps into and like, very visually show what, um, someone with mental illness and someone who has multiple, it seems like multiple layers of mental illness, all kind of like restricting and controlling how this person behaves. Like that, that thing I think is one of the bigger, bigger things that I got to really see and appreciate of from Joaquin's acting. But I thought like, I don't know, like, in one sense, it's like an introduction to how Joker came to be, but I don't know how true it is to the comic book. And maybe that that is like a negative aspect. Like people don't see it as like, oh, you know, um, it's not true to the story or true to how the comics are. But then for me, I think the biggest positive is that um, it shed light, sheds light on like real issues that people suffer through day to day and how society could be really blind to it. And I thought that was like a really big meaning and like, I think something that like I left from the film and like started to think about was Mm. like, man, like there are people who suffer from these type of mental illnesses that have to live through this type of 
like lives through life with this lens every single day. And there's so many lines that are in the film that Joaquin projects and he lives and like he he just becomes like and it just feels so real and genuine and like i think like one line that comes to mind like right away is like i i don't think i've ever yeah felt happy in my whole like life i'm kind of like yeah yeah, yeah. paraphrasing here but like i think that really stood out and like there's multiple layers to his character and the progression from the start where it's very someone who's super depressed to the point where making eye contact with different people and social interactions is so difficult to um, later on becoming someone who's become mad almost for and builds up a character of like he, he like, transforms into the transforms Joker. Yeah. yeah transforms into the Joker exactly and I don't know it was just like it's hard to say in like one concise way but i think it was just so yeah captivating and like i'm still processing and like you know like no no that's great i i I think maybe um like that's definitely a strength maybe jonty and i can chip in as well and um yeah i I just wanted to go next just because you you mentioned the comics david and i believe that i'm probably the resident comic book nerd on this particular podcast (laughs) um so it's it's definitely not me (laughs) (laughs) me definitely not not david so that's okay (laughs) um so i can tell you that um when the comic book community and i don't want to speak on behalf of the comic book community but i i know on behalf (laughs) as a representative of the comic book community i know that um (laughs) there was large portions of the comic book community who as soon Mm. as this movie was announced got mad and the reason why is because they picked almost the only comic book character ever (laughs) who intentionally doesn't have an origin story Um, and a lot of people got annoyed with that because that's part of the joker's um sort of lineage is it's just like who is he who is he really the mystery and so unknown yeah and so when when we found out oh it's a dude called arthur fleck and this is like he's got a mother and all this stuff people got annoyed so there's this there's this story called um the Killing Joke, and it's a very, very famous story. It's probably the most famous Joker story of all time. And in that story, it supposedly gives the origin story for the Joker, but it is intentionally sort of never truly linked. It's kind of just like at the end, you're, you're sort of left thinking, is that really true or not? And they intentionally sort of leave it untethered. Um, but in that story... Um, it sort of explains the Joker's backstory as you go in sections and it sort of flicks back between, yeah, um, like the, the past where the Joker is living this life and, um, basically he gets in a, I I suppose it doesn't really matter, but the, the point is in the present, it's, he is trying to prove to Batman that all it would take is one bad day for anyone to become like him. And in wow. this film, that is the o- only thing that I would say that they did well in terms of the comics is that theme of saying all it takes is one bad day or the equivalent sort of a, a bad week. Um, and it yeah. turns someone who is good natured at heart into something 
terrifying. Um, mm. Something really, really twisted. And obviously this person was fragile at the start, but he was still good natured. You could tell um, his heart was in the right place at the beginning. He was struggling with himself, but his heart was in the right place. And then it gets torn apart throughout the film. Apart from that theme, I wish this film was not connected to the comics. Everything mm. else feels way too uh, stretched, way too shoehorned, particularly the whole Thomas Wayne and the Bruce Wayne alley scene. Like, that is crap. You don't mm. need that. I'm sorry. Like, even if you do have him as Joker, don't put in Bruce Wayne. You don't need him. <laughs> like, you don't need him. It's it's trying to make links where they're not necessary. And, right. and it, it, that scene in the alleyway, like they tr they try and be all clever and be like, oh, see, they're watching Zorro, which is the film that they were watching. Right. Well, it wasn't actually a film. They were watching a play um, in the, the original story. But yeah, it's changed a film over time. And then they go into the alleyway and they get robbed. But it's supposed to be just a thug, a general thug. To attach his like his parents' death to a movement takes away from Batman's story as well, where it's supposed to be mm. meaningless. Like there's this, this massive arc that runs for like decades with Batman is that it's this idea that there was something like more complicated behind his parents' death and it flicks on and off. But like often the, the whole, the heartbreaking thing is in his story is that there was no motive at all. It was just some common criminal. And so, mm. once again, that's kind of sort of taking away from this. Like, you, you're taking the source material, but you're not really. Right. You, you're kind of taking only tiny little bits and then sort of really, like, missing the point with a lot of the other stuff. And so, Joker is a fantastic character. And the, the, the reason why this film is so successful is because it's drawn off off that character. It would still be successful, I think, but nowhere near as successful if it wasn't based off the, the DC character Joker. But I just feel like at times, because at times it's so removed and at other times it just feels like a stretch. What I did appreciate was that by the end of the film, you realize he's not actually Arthur Fleck and we actually have no idea who this guy is. We don't know who his real parents are. He was adopted and he was abandoned as a baby, so you, you can't trace back who his family is or anything. So he is a John Doe, which I did appreciate that at least, that they didn't tie him down to a, a family name or anything like that because he is supposed to be an anonymous guy that no one really knows who he is. Um, and I appreciated right. that at least. But mm. this was supposed to be about the strengths, so I'll... I'll I'll flick back and, I, and I'll take a, a real easy way out in terms of the strengths because I already said, first of all, just a quick mention to what I think is the biggest strength is yeah, the emotional um, toll that this film had on me. Definitely, I think that's mm. the biggest strength. But I'm just going to have a cop-out answer and just say Joaquin Phoenix. Brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Fantastic yeah. performance. And I forgot, yeah, he did win Best Actor as well. So, Joko won two Oscars. Um, and... Just br wow. absolutely brilliant. His eyes, his eyes are just the way that he can smile and laugh and you can see the anguish in his eyes or the way that he can just change his facial expression. And I feel like if you covered his eyes, it would look like nothing's changing. But when you're staring into his eyes in these scenes where he's slowly getting angry and sort of twisting into this like resentment, you can see it in his mm. eyes, especially in those therapy scenes where he says to that, um, to that therapist, I don't know, because it says she's a social worker, but 
she's like she's managing his medication which is like that only a psychiatrist would be able to do that so i'm not really sure she seems like a psychiatrist not a social worker but it doesn't really matter um but when he says like <laughs> you you ask me like every day if i'm having negative thoughts um all i have are negative thoughts and you don't yeah, listen to me and stuff that line. like yeah you can see that that look in his eyes of like you don't care about me and you can see that transition mm. happening in just those little exchanges where he realizes that certain people just really don't care. Um, and mm. yeah, just absolutely brilliant. And the the dancing scene, which I'm sure we'll get to when we talk about music a bit more, that is my favorite scene of the film. And that was improvised. Um, they did reshoot it. Um, that's what some people, some people think that it was the first time. It's clearly not because... The, the cinematography is choreographed around the dance. Is so, this the one in the bathroom? Yes. You're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's definitely been reshot, but the, but the dance itself, he did that. He just came up with that on the spot. And that's the sort of inspired acting that mm. makes this film what it is. So yeah, that, that's what I'll say in terms of positives. I know I talked about a negative as well, but um, <laughs> yeah, I'll pass you on to pass it on to you now, Jonty. Yeah, I mean, just I, I have a few different positives that I want to highlight, but just on that that bathroom scene, and I'm I'm gonna paraphrase. There's a Hollywood Foreign Reporter Director's Roundtable where Todd mm. Phillips talks about that scene in a lot more depth than mm. what we're going to be able to. Um, as the guy really? that shot the thing, really, you don't think um, that we can cover it in more? Depth I mean, than we Todd we could give it a shot, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. But what would so he know? It, originally in the script, he was just gonna run into that bathroom, get rid of the gun, yeah. wipe off the like. And and they got to that uh, to shooting that scene, and they, as a group, they sort of just decided that that wasn't right for yes, that's right where I, they were going yeah, yeah, yeah. with the character, having been shooting that character and shooting the movie for a couple of weeks now um, at that point, and so they basically said to the crew, take twenty minutes, half an hour, and Todd Phillips and Joaquin Phoenix sat in that bathroom and thought for twenty minutes, half an hour. Um, and Todd Phillips started playing some of the score, which an interesting, mm. interesting thing about the score is Hilda, can't remember how to pronounce her last name. Give me a sec. Um, Give me a sec. Hilda <laughs> Guthnadottir. There you go. She was sending bits of score as she was writing it to yes, them while yeah. they were filming. I think maybe and I've so seen this because this is all very familiar. It probably got chopped up and, and reposted in different yeah. places. But he just started playing some of the score on his phone and Joaquin Phoenix just started dancing. And they went, well, that's it. So they called the crew back in mm. and, yeah, you're absolutely right. They, they staged it and they shot it a couple of times. But that's sort of how that... And that's the sort of thing that I love about this movie, that it feels very organic. Yes. And very... Mm. And, and everything Just on that, sorry, Georgie, I'll pass it straight yeah. back to you in a second. But because you mentioned that, I want to mention um, another scene which is when um, Joaquin Phoenix climbs into the fridge. Um, and I, oh, I actually yeah. noticed this in, in the theatre. The reason why I could tell this was improvised is because when he climbs into the fridge, the camera starts moving towards him. But just as the camera starts moving, you see it sort of jiggle a little bit. And to me, and uh, this is an untrained eye, but to me, I was straight away just like, ah, someone's just picked it up off the tripod or something like that. Cause it was perfectly still. Someone's just picked it up off the tripod and it's starting to move forward. And you can see that little balance as they pick it up and try and steady it, but you can see it. And they probably could have gotten rid of that with like some, they have really high tech anti, um, 
what is it? I can't remember what it's called. Um, stabilizing called technology, stabilizing, which you can do yeah. in like posts these days. It's crazy. But they left it in there. And I really appreciated that. They could have even cut the scene short. Like they could have just cut it there, but they kept it in. And like that kind of just um, freedom within the cinematography, yeah. I really appreciate. And so, yeah, I just wanted to chip that in, Jonty, to sort of add, a, yeah, add, yeah. add on your point. But please go ahead, continue. Yeah, no, and, and that's another great example. And I, I think from memory, that was one where he literally just sprung it on them yeah, while he they did. were shooting. He did. Yeah. And they were just like, what the heck? And well, because kept, they, they kept, as kept you, you like, said it really well. They had these situations <laughs> where they, they didn't know quite what was going to happen. And so they just went with it and they're just like, let's try this. And they just did it. And he would just come up with something and just do it. And they just had to work around him. Mm. Um, and yeah, I've got more to say on that. But oh. Continue. Um, I mean, one of, one of the things I love about this movie, um, and I, I don't want to come across that I'm too down on it, because um, I actually like it quite a bit, but some of the things that I, I dislike about it, I feel quite strongly about. But one of the things I love about it is that it does not feel like a superhero movie or a mm. comic book movie at all. Um, mm. It feels like the sort of movies that it's referencing and the sort of material mm. that it's riffing off, which is Taxi se- 70s and 80s independent some studio mm. finance movies, but like those, yeah, your taxi drivers, your um, King of Comedy, which is another Scorsese mm. movie that it, mm. that it pretty clearly references. Yes. Um, and that kind of leads me to what you guys were talking just a couple of minutes ago about the, the way it um, interacts with the comic book lore. Mm. I remember the first time I saw this, same as you, Jack, was in the cinemas walking out and thinking, I don't know why they even call this movie Joker. It works so well as its own yes. um, removed from anything else, like just independent movie as a character study. Mm. That stuff is so strong that yes. when the Joker stuff starts to really creep in, so like the Thomas Wayne stuff is a, is a great yeah. example of that, it felt shoehorned in mm. and was sort of taking away from that really gritty adult complex character study that we're watching and then suddenly joker stuff starts coming in so without without trying to talk about the negative there that positive is that they had such a clear vision of no no no, we're not despite the fact that we're going to make a movie called joker yeah where we're going to play with characters that are part of an intellectual property we are going to commit to making essentially a crime drama character study mm. in the same vein as something like Taxi Driver that would have come out in the 1970s. And I, I love that they committed to that choice because it's a bold choice that, and they, for, you know, probably 80, 85% of the movie, they committed to that and did it really, really well. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I, I do wonder whether it was more of a, like a feeling that they needed to put some links in to the, the comic book history I just wish that they'd done some stuff that was more subtle and actually relevant to Joker's backstory because I feel like that stuff would have gone over better with comic book fans as well. Like to take some stuff that's more like deep rooted, like comic book fans would really appreciate that someone would have done a lot of research and been like, let's take some deep cuts here as opposed for just going for the clear, easy thing of let's link him to Batman. Like it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's, it just felt hey, can so I, Can I just say, yes. Can I just say as someone who's not a, a comic book fan who's not part of the comic book 
uh, community. I thought it was so cool. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> See, and, like, this is exactly what I thought. Like, I thought it was so cool. That's like, the only thing you'd know. Like, if they referenced something yeah. like Red Hood, you wouldn't know, would you? No, no exactly. But that's a, that's a <laughs> vital part. If they if they put in something oh. like a crossbar, a crossbow, it, sorry, is it crossbow? What am I talking about? A yeah, crowbar, crossbow. sorry. Crossbow, crowbar. If they put oh, like a crowbar, crowbar somewhere in there, like comic book fans would have recognized that and they would have appreciated that as well. Like instead of stabbing the guy to death with with some scissors, do it with a crowbar. People would have really appreciated that because there is a strong connection to the comics there. Stuff like that, which are like more deep cuts. I feel like people, maybe not, but like the comic book people that I feel like it was trying to satisfy, I feel like they would have been more satisfied with that than with little baby Bruce Wayne, which to be fair, I do really like that scene where he like puts his fingers in Bruce Wayne's mouth. Horses, that, that is incredibly creepy. Yeah. I yeah, d- it's it's more the stuff with Thomas Wayne that just feels incredibly just irrelevant. And it's like, that's not who Thomas Wayne was. Like, Here's the thing though, right? Yeah. If, if they did do what we're suggesting by removing it from the DC comic book world would we be talking about it right now no one would have financed this movie mm, like yeah. it would not have been made yeah um but even then if by a miracle it had been made i don't think it would have been nearly as popular like the draw that it had because it's a dc property far yeah. outweighs anything and, and this is like it far outweighs any you know filmmaking craft or you know all of those positive things that are in mm. the movie i think the fact that it's a dc property just drew so many eyeballs to yeah. it that it, it wouldn't have had. And Absolutely. I don't think it even would have been made in the first place. Absolutely. What, what I will say is that maybe it would have been because the budget was so low. Like this was a quite a low budget film. And so maybe it could have been. And if you've gotten Joaquin Phoenix on board, because I don't think Joaquin Phoenix got on board because this was Todd Phillips. Like you look at Todd Phillips' previous work, it's nothing like this. So I don't think he was just right. like, oh, I'm doing this because of Todd Phillips. I think he does this because of what he read in the script. So if someone does manage to get hold of Joaquin Phoenix and give him this script uh, as an artur, as they call these guys, it wouldn't surprise me if he still does this film, even if it is sort of on an indie level. He's done that kind of stuff before. Um, yeah, so so maybe it could have could have still happened, but I agree with you, Jonty, that definitely without the DC um, sort of promotion and the Warner Brothers marketing, it probably doesn't do as well. But then I would say that probably the biggest marketing that this film had was how well it did at the indie film festivals leading up to its release. And mm. none of that has to do with Warner Brothers. That is purely to do with the film itself. Like those yeah. indie festivals do not care that it's done by a major. If, if, if anything, that's a detriment that it was done by a major label. So, um, yeah, it may maybe it still is successful, but I would not say that it would make over a billion dollars, which I believe it made. Um, a billion yeah, it's made US. Bucket loads. It's crazy. Um, yeah, so... Yeah. Yeah. Very, 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 um, very tricky in terms of that, in terms of, yeah, the, the line mm. between sort of being loyal to the source material and then being loyal to your artistic vision. And I don't think they got it completely right, but I don't blame them because I understand the pressures that they would have felt in terms of, yeah. Yeah. There's just line. one other thing I wanted to say there as well. When we're in this kind of conversation about that conflict between, the DC element that it's playing with, but then the the independent element of the film as well. Mm. 
a really, really, and I didn't pick up on this until pro- I've seen this movie three times now. Mm. And it suddenly hit me after watching it the third time. And I think that conflict is at the heart of this. For a movie about the Joker, it takes itself so seriously. And I think that mm. is a bit of a problem for myself being like, so, you, you know, I, I have read The Killing Joke and I have read mm. a few other things, but I'm very much not part of that community. Someone who's even like myself, who's only vaguely, I, I mean, I, I, at a little bit of detail, aware of who the Joker is and who that character is, that it just clicked with me after the third time watching that I think that is an issue. The character mm. of the Joker is all about anarchy and chaos and just blowing everything up and laughing at it in the process. And this movie takes itself so seriously. But, but okay, sorry, John D, I will push back on that. All right. You know, because, please do. Because, yeah, this is what I live for. Let's do it. Because we only get the Joker for arguably... The only time we get the Joker is in that very last scene in the hospital. I would argue mm. that. I would argue mm. up until then, we don't get the real Joker. Or maybe you could say after the car crash. I was going to say the car crash. But even yeah, then, probably, even yeah. then, I think it's a stretch because it's still sinking in. It's when he puts his hands up like this. And mm. then all we see is the back of him. Before then, I don't think you get the Joker. And and. I think that the only thing that could create a character like the Joker, who is the way he is, is something incredibly serious and traumatic. The sort of stuff that just, you know, like it, it just is unimaginable. So I would push back. And even even the even if it was the Joker, I would still say that I have read a bit. Um, I'm not huge. Like I I haven't read that much DC, but I've read. Um, uh, Scott Snyder's run on his whole run on Batman. And that is one of the most famous Batman runs of all time. And Joker plays a heavy role in that. And there is very little joking around with that Joker. That Joker literally cuts his face off and staples it back onto his face. Like it's not, that's not light reading. Okay. That this series is incredibly dark and haunting and um, it's, it's not often that still images can produce fear in you. And the art by Greg Pak on this particular run is so stunning that, um, yeah, and, and this does not make many jokes, this particular series. Um, the the humour is quite dry and most mm-hmm. of it's coming from Batman, ironically, not the Joker. Um, the Joker, when he's making jokes, it's, it's all sort of horrible humour that you're not really laughing at. You're, it's... it's it's maniacal yeah, humor. So, um, I, wouldn't you say he becomes like you say he's only truly the Joker in the hospital scene? Like, where did you mean that? Like at the end when he's just yes. laughing, yeah, and yeah. Then he's well, like, he says you, you wouldn't, you get, wouldn't it. get it. That's that's yeah, to yeah. me. That's the first time I see something and I go, "That's the Joker." Um, you reckon? To me, I, I thought it's me, when yes. he descends, like from the stairs. He's done the hair. Oh, that's he's a good point. That's makeup. a good point. Yeah, I I actually think when he stands up on top of the car and the crowd are cheering him and he turns around and lifts up his hands and draws the smile on his face with his blood. For me, and I I said earlier that this is a story about just a guy who is beaten down by society, but he transforms into the Joker. For me, that's the moment where he's no longer Arthur Fleck and the Joker is not 
necessarily even him individually. The Joker is this icon mm. that we all know the Joker from the Dark Knight, from the Killing Joke, from this huge array of, you know, this backlog of material. Um, that moment where in front of a crowd he plays that performance and draws the face, he is now the Joker. Yeah, um, no, you could definitely make that argument. But what I will say is I'll come back to it is is the fact that I don't think that this is a, a faithful, a comic faithful representation of the character. And that isn't mm. a criticism. Like that yeah, yeah. isn't a criticism. The fact that it's not a comic <laughs> faithful representation is not a criticism. It's just my criticism mm. about that is not that it's faith, not faithful. It's that don't try and make it faithful. That's yeah. my criticism. Right. I, I have another thing that right. I want I want to run by. Have you guys heard about the supposed alternate ending that they... I don't think they ended up shooting. No. No, I haven't so, heard about that. What is, yeah. So, at the end, when he laughs and the warden says, oh, what's so funny? He says, oh, you wouldn't get it. Mm. I don't... And again, I don't know if they shot this, like at what point this got through to before they cut it. Supposedly, they were then going to flash back again to um, the moment in the alley when Bruce Wayne's parents get shot, mm. and it was going to keep going, and the guy shoots Bruce Wayne in the head, young Bruce Wayne as a kid. Right. Hmm. As, as a real, like, just middle finger to the comic book lore and being like, <laughs> oh. in this universe, Bruce oh. Wayne gets shot in the head as a kid, and, right. and then, it, oh, you wouldn't get it end movie like right so i almost think that would have been exactly what you're talking about jack about if you're gonna be unfaithful to the comic law be intentionally unfaithful like be intentionally unfaithful i think that would have been almost i mean i think can you imagine the response to that like i think i would have appreciated that because that for me would have been like okay good that means the reason like the all this like tie-in stuff was all just taking the piss good okay i'm fine with that because that means you're not trying because to me it feels like you're sucking up to the fans but that would be like a sort of making fun of the fans and and it would finally make me feel like okay this is intentionally what in dc they call an elseworld story which means that it is an alternate universe that's what dc comics call it in marvel they call it what if um, in mm. DC, they call it Elseworlds. And to do something as radically different as Bruce Wayne never becomes Batman because he gets shot with his parents, to me, that cements it as, no, this is an Elseworld story. This ba- this guy mm. will not grow up to be Batman. And then you don't have all the issues of like, okay, so why is Joker like 40 years older than Batman or 30 years older than Batman? Like you don't have that issue because it's clearly, mm. this is a different universe. But it feels like what they do, it's just like, well, is it the same universe? And it's just like, no, don't do that. It is different. Like, go into that. You don't need to try and link yeah. everything together. And I enjoy this movie so much more when I'm not asking myself those questions. When yes. you're not worried about like, oh, is this, you know, does this guy grow up to be Christian Bale? Or like, which <laughs> universe is this in? When you're not worried about any of that stuff and you're just watching the movie. Yeah. It, it's That's just, why I love yeah. this film. That's why I was like... I see where where you guys are coming from and like I see how it could be like a huge disappointment for people who are faithful or like you know follow the the comics and everything but for someone who's like oblivious and it's just mm. the Joker known as the enemy or like the, yeah arch nemesis or something to Batman 
sorry if I'm getting that wrong as well, but <laughs> for me, it was like, it was just, everything was like, wow, that tied in and like, wow, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, oh, the Ali no, for sure, for sure. Like, so um, yeah. let's, let's continue. Like, so I think we've talked about a lot of the positives and we've mm. brought up negatives as we go. So I think when we start talking about some of the negatives, maybe some of the positives will come up as we go as well. So John T, you said that there was some other stuff that really, that you do feel quite strongly about. Do you want to sort of mm. touch on those things now? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so, a little bit of backstory as well. Um, I, I've been to university to do screenwriting and, and creative writing and a few different other things there as well. And as an exercise, I actually printed off the entire screenplay of Joker. Right. Um, and retyped it out from start to finish, which when you hear that, it's like, who the heck would do that? That's boring and stupid. What was that exercise supposed but to- as an exercise to get used to the physically writing in the screenplay right, right. format, they were yeah. like, just pick a random screenplay, type it from start to finish. Um, Why'd you pick so Joker I, out of interest? I'd rewatched it recently. I was like, oh, right. I'll just print that one. I Googled it and there was a free PDF online. So, <laughs> I just downloaded it and printed it. Oh but so, so I'm, I spent yeah. a lot of time at a line to line level- looking mm. at the screenplay of this film. Yeah. And Joaquin Phoenix elevates this script so hard. Mm. Like, he lifts this script yeah. Yeah. so hard. It is, I mean, initially I was like, I can't believe that the director of The Hangover has made this movie. <laughs> Rewatching it again and going through the screenplay, it makes complete sense <laughs> that the director right. of The Hangover made this uh, movie because it wow. is so clunky and so, like, the lack of subtlety is unbelievable. Yes. And you sort of, like, and it's not just Joaquin Phoenix, like, the score, but particularly the cinematography and the camera direction um, hides some of the clunkiness of it. Mm. Um, and so, I almost feel bad bringing this up as big of as as much of a negative as I do yeah. because that's from a screenplay point yeah, of view. Yeah, you're talking about stuff I- that doesn't actually exist in the film, but well, is kind here's of finding the thing. It there. does, yeah. but it has been hidden yeah. and covered over right. by other elements of the movie. No, I get that. Um, I get that. So, for, yeah, for me, for me, the biggest weakness is the screenwriting. It's, um, you know, and speaking as someone who is not in a position to critique professional screenwriters... I, I look at that screenplay and go, like, there's some. This could have used an editor, and <laughs> oh boy, yeah, someone standing over it with a sharpie and just scratching things out and go try again. Do but you have um, to, have to uh, do you happen to have any examples that come to mind in terms of things that really yeah. made you cringe? So the the one of the one of the biggest ones, um, which I've heard people talk about as a positive with the movie, um, I think it's in one of the opening scenes. He gets his sign stolen off him and mm. he chases after them and, and they beat him up um the sign says everything must go and in the movie that's mm. just a detail in the screenplay it makes it beats you over the head literally in the movie i guess but it beats you over the head with the fact that the joker is twirling a sign that says everything must go and it means this and then he's literally getting beaten over the head by it just in case the people in the back didn't get the theme of what the movie is trying to talk about. So, that, that's just one example where the script... When you watch right. the movie, it's like... That's... I mean, I've heard other people say that that's another example of it being just completely lack of yeah. subtlety, beating you over yeah, the head yeah. with it. Um, but mm. even that, where people have said that's a little bit like lacking in subtlety is a toned down version of yes. what's happening in the script. So that, that's just one example. Um, a lot of the dialogue, um, you know, Joaquin Phoenix 
just elevates it. He he is just unbelievable at taking middle of the road material and just completely transforming it. I he, would say that both wow. Robert De Niro and Zazie Beetz also elevate um, yeah, their Yeah, Robert lines. De Niro is fantastic. Yes, he is. And and I, I realised that I didn't actually introduce the, the rest of the cast. So, we've got, um, yeah, Robert De Niro playing, um, I can't remember the name of his character, but the talk show. Murray. Murray, yeah. Uh, what, what's, the, what's his last name? It's Murray... Franklin. Franklin, I think. yeah. Um, we got Zazie Beats, who her character's name is Sophie, uh, Sophie Dummond, but we don't know her name. And then we've got um, Francis Conroy playing Penny Fleck, Arthur's mum. And we got Brett Cullen playing mm-hmm. Thomas Wayne. Um, and then, yeah, other than that, there's not, I mean, there's lots of recognizable people, but not too many other big characters other than that. But really fantastic cast, I think. Um, apart mm, from yeah. Francis Conroy, who I don't really know in too many other things, I know she actually was in. Um, I think she was in Batman Returns, ironically. Um, but other than that, I'm she. Her face isn't too familiar. Um, but there were a lot of recognizable faces, even playing smaller roles. So, yeah, um, really good cast, and I, I think every single actor, apart from you, could maybe criticize Brett Cullen a little bit, but he didn't have much to work with in terms of Thomas May- Thomas Wayne. It was a really just boring character i think and that's one of my biggest criticisms um in terms of the dc links is thomas wayne's character is so bad i'm sorry it's just pathetic he's, a, he's that stereotypical like, exactly snooty town mayor character but, but, but yeah. I, I would be more okay with it if it was just a nobody which is what i would want them to do but no they made it thomas wayne like a massive character and then they made him boring it's like it's like they wrote the character and last minute was just like hey you know what let's make him thomas wayne <laughs> and it's just that's what it feels like the whole movie they wrote an awesome script and at the last minute went, went like you know what this could be a joker movie <laughs> and superimposed like that that's what it feels like to be honest just give him green hair <laughs> wow. yeah 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 oh boy mm. any other criticisms well, jaunty that yeah. come to mind um I, I think the other main one for me is you know it's no secret that I mean, Todd Phillips has said publicly a number of times that it's heavily inspired by Taxi Driver and yes. King of Comedy yeah, yeah. in particular. For me, a lot of those references felt, again, not to repeat myself, but just heavy-handed. lacked lacked in any subtlety and were yeah, just yeah. really heavy-handed. Like one of the ones that stands out to me is um, him doing the fingers, mm. making the, the mm. finger guns yeah. to his head, which is a very clear Taxi Driver. Yeah. Um, he like quite literally ki- gets uh, hit by a taxi as well. <laughs> yeah, there's that. But I mean, like that that's an iconic moment in Taxi Driver. He doesn't yeah. do it once. He does it about four or five times yeah. and other characters do it too. And at that point, I'm going, okay, you made your point. You like Taxi Driver. Let's move on and, and <laughs> make Joker now. Can we like... So, uh, you know, it's it's great. And, and I, I use this as a positive earlier that it's referencing and taking part in that kind of 70s and 80s gritty adult mm. crime thing. Mm. But I think there are just too many times where it moves beyond respectfully paying homage to those things and just yeah. heavy handedly ref- like referring to them over and over again. Yeah. Um, and it just, to me, it just became distracting. And maybe that's because, you know, I'm a movie nerd that watches way too many movies and doesn't engage in other areas of life when the, when he should and just watches <laughs> movies instead. But like, I was just constantly going, oh, that's that movie. Oh, that's that movie. And it was, it just became distracting. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it's interesting because clearly um, Todd Phillips and whoever was in charge of set design, like there was so much attention to detail in the sets and there's lots of little things actually that happen 
that are quite subtle, I think, um, but the references really aren't. Like the, the subtlety that I like is stuff like he's writing in his journal with his left left hand and then he actually switches to his right hand um, and like just to show that mm. like chaotic nature and behavior. There's little things like I noticed it this time when he's in his lounge room practicing to go on um, the show, there's a, yeah. there's a coffee mug that's sitting on the table and he's written in, in texter um, Murray or whatever the show's called. He's written it on the mug. Like, it's little stuff like that, which barely anyone is going to see. Like, you only see it if you're kind of looking for it. And I was kind of sort of like at that point, just sort of looking around the room. And because I, I noticed that and then I'm sort of looking and seeing how it feels like they just put him in every single scene and just said, okay, Joaquin, method act in how this room should be laid out. And I almost wonder if the set design was mainly Joaquin Phoenix just playing the character of Joker and just sort of making things how, um, yeah, how he sort of feels the character would have them sitting. Um, and then there's other things that are just a bit random. Like when he gets the call for the show, he's lying in his bed and he's just sort of got his hand in his pants and just sort of playing around there. And like, it, it doesn't seem to like, it's just sort of weird, subtle character contributions which aren't necessarily a positive ad but it's just there's lots of little things within this film that i feel like are just there and they create the sort of authenticity to this that make it feel grounded and real because Mm. it's just like sometimes in films like it gets a bit tiresome when everything has a reason like everything is there for a reason it's just like well that's not really how reality works there's just random stuff that happens and i appreciate some of the just the little things that are completely unimportant but just happen sort of like off camera or to the side or something like that um i enjoy that stuff mm. it's interesting i don't want to dwell on it but the that moment you brought up with him um, with his hands down his pants that seems to me like another moment where there's an element to his character of um, sexual frustration and repression with Mm. how he's treated. And that sort of comes up again a few times um, with uh, the Sophie character. Yeah, the the, the hallucination of of going into her room. Um, And there was another one as well that I've just forgotten off the top of my head. Well, with his mother as well. There's there's some weird... Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and that's a little an element in his character which is really interesting but doesn't feel properly fleshed out in Mm. the movie. And so, as someone who, you know, dissects screenplays because they have nothing better to do, I go, cut that out then. If it's not going to come to fruition, why is it in the movie? Mm. It's it's, it's it's exactly what you said. It just seems random. With these films, you normally shoot a lot of content and it's possible that they did cut out that, that, um, that arc but that scene when he picks up the phone, they just didn't have any other shots of him picking up the phone. And yeah, they couldn't, could they well couldn't do reshoots for this film. Um, they actually, most scenes were only shot once because Joaquin Phoenix dropped so much weight for this film. He was so weak and unhealthy that they could mm. actually only shoot a lot of these scenes once. Um, and I can only imagine how exhausting those running scenes would be because he is really oh, running. Like he's yeah. running full tilt and he's just got no fat on him at all. Like he must just be just killing himself on this film. Um, and it's it's a bit scary what this role does to people, given the the, the history of it. Um, 
with obviously Heath Ledger, it is a bit. It, it does have a bit of a worrying legacy. Um, this particular character, but um, it has drawn magnificent performances. Um, obviously, they're they're not worth the lives of of actors, but maybe they would argue differently. Um, but yeah, it's it is pretty scary, and there are certain scenes like when um, Joaquin Phoenix is sort of pulling at that boot, and you're looking at his back, yeah. and just yeah. the bones yeah. just sort of popping out of his back it's just yeah it looks like a like a goblin like it's it's scary how how much weight he dropped for that film um mm. but yeah it's i think the the mother is a really interesting character um and i would definitely agree they say that she was diagnosed with um narciss- narcissistic disorder and i think that they kind of represent that quite well like the way that she talks to her son or well, not her son but is really like brutal like some of the stuff she says to him like she knows he's mentally ill and she says stuff like um don't you have to be funny to be a comedian mm, yeah. like yeah. stuff like that and like um that was and like yeah. brutal, he, he's man. trying to like dance with her and all she cares about is trying to tell him that she wrote another letter to yeah. to thomas wayne who it turns out as much of a dick thomas wayne is like he he was telling the truth she had this like fantasy like she was completely um delirious about the fact that they had a relationship it never happened um and so she's been writing letters to him this whole time um and telling uh arthur to check the mail every single day and like yeah it's yeah her character was um she probably didn't deserve her demise but it was um not a pleasant character that she was she really was sort of um I wouldn't say taking advantage of her son because I don't think she even realized he kind of existed. She was so in her own head um, and so mentally ill herself. And it's so tragic as you sort of that when Arthur steals the the files about his childhood and you find out everything he went through and how all this stuff is yeah. clearly suppressed because he has no memories of it at all. Um, I read something somewhere else as well. I This is more of an opinion someone had, but that idea that when he says... Um, you wouldn't get it at the end is saying like all these times when he's been laughing, it's not a disorder. He just has a really twisted sense of humor. Um, And Mm -hmm. that's why once he stops suppressing his laughter, um, it stops being painful and it stops coming out at weird times. It comes out at more natural times because he just has a a really twisted sense of humor, the whole movie. Um, And the, the fact that he's laughing at inappropriate times is not because of a disorder. It's because he actually is finding those things funny um, or he's laughing at just like the absurdity of certain situations. Like when he's on the bus and he's actually being really sweet with that kid and the mother's just like, yeah. stop annoying my kid or something. And he starts laughing. Like it kind of is funny from a really twisted sense that it's funny that someone would reject such a like act of kindness from someone who's so lonely and she would just do that like it kind of makes sense when you view it that way but once again that was kind of just an opinion um but yeah i I did want to sort of touch a bit more on the critical perception of this film um and what i wanted to talk about was this one argument which just got repeated over and over again which i just think is complete crap and that is yeah. that this film glorifies violence. 
And I just think that is absolute crap. Like anyone who has half a brain watching this film, I'm sorry, anyone who has half a brain watching this film can clearly see this is a cautionary tale. This is not saying Mm. let's build a society Mm. like this. It's not saying it's acceptable for him to kill people. It's just saying Mm. this is what can happen when people just get trampled all over. People who don't deserve to be at the bottom and then you treat them like absolute crap. They can rise up. They can become a figure even by accident. Like literally he becomes a leader of a movement by accident. And it's literally like that's part of what it's saying. And for people to be so close-minded and so sort of intentionally just like, no, I'm only going to see it from this point of view is exactly what the film is looking at. It's exactly what the film is looking at these this higher class, this elite class that says, mm. I refuse to look at this poor perspective. Even Thomas Wayne says it clearly, probably the only worthwhile line he says in the whole film <laughs> is that I'm only here because I worked hard or something like that. Like, I made something of myself. And it's just like you were born into a rich family with like a history of rich people throughout Gotham. Like these are people who were born into the sewers. These are people who were born with nothing. And you're going to stand there and tell them that you work just as hard as them, but you just, sorry, you've worked harder than them and they don't work as hard as you, but you deserve everything you have. And you're there living in a mansion while people are living the same sort of lives that Arthur is living. Like it's, it's clearly saying, like, this is what happens when society is built upon, like, foundations of sand, like, and then you continue to treat these people at the bottom even worse. It's not promoting violence. And I'm so sick of that argument against this film, saying that this film glorifies yeah. violence or it glorifies mental illness. It absolutely does not. It just says this is what can happen if you don't, like, if you're not careful. Yeah. Well, and I, th- I think you, uh, when you said earlier, like people watching this with half a brain, I think genuinely the people, a lot of the times when those articles are being written, they haven't actually seen the movie. Yeah, probably. Right. Um, because the, the history of how this even, like the rollout of this critical stuff even, even happened is really interesting because it played at a bunch of festivals. People probably had low to no expectation at all and sudden and- Mm. saw this and went, wow, that's fantastic, and gave glowing reviews. It hadn't been widely released yet. Yeah. And in response to those positive reviews, we then got, oh, it's promoting violence. Oh, it's going <laughs> to incite, you know, violence in, in the room. All, 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 yeah, all of those yeah. things. And genuinely, I don't think those people had actually seen the movie yet. But those reviews because continued afterwards, Jonty. That's what's so that- crazy. Even after the release, those reviews continued and that commentary continued on like a- a mainstream level like these are people who surely would have seen it but on that i don't know what movie they're expecting to see when it's an origin story for a villain <laughs> a psychopathic villain <laughs> it's that's literally what the movie is about so yeah. i 100 percent agree with you i think it's absurd and you know even just on a more general level the argument that movies or art in general can cause violence um obviously there, there are more nuanced situations where that discussion has become necessary but to say that art causes violence in my mind is absurd you know you know the only places where this film had a social impact 
in corrupt governments with working class who were not being treated fairly. That's the only place you saw it happen. It happened in some places in South America, South America. I think Mexico, there was a bit of action where people started wearing clown masks and the people who were wearing it were people who were oppressed by the elite classes in those environments. So the only place where sort of it caused disruption was places in an incredibly injust society just like the one we see in this film so Mm. that's what this is about and i i don't think that todd phillips or anyone could take any sort of responsibility for anyone who does something stupid like in the name of this film it's it's not saying let's rise up it's not saying that it's not inciting violence it's saying look how horrifying this can get if we don't do something about it like i i don't Mm. think when you're seeing that scene at the end with everyone cheering. I don't think we're supposed to be cheering too. We're supposed to be sitting there kind of like, holy crap. Like, yeah. whoa. Yeah. And that's it's spooky because it can feel. happen. Yeah, it literally what, happens. When, when we left, because yeah. I, I saw the film with like sort of five, six other people. When we left the film, we were all spooked. Like we all said we thought it was good, but a few of us said we didn't enjoy it, but it was good. But we were spooked. We were freaked out. And that's what the film is supposed to do. It's not supposed to be like, oh, let's go have a riot. Let's go kill people because that's what you deserve. <laughs> like, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's, that's not what the film is about. And I'm just, it really frustrates me that people would just write off a film with so much yeah. good in it over, a, like, not even a good argument, a straw man argument. Like, even if it was a good argument, that still doesn't mean that you have to cancel a whole film when there's plenty of good stuff in there. Um, and so, yeah, I, maybe I, I'm a bit like I've, I, before watch rewatching this film, I feel like maybe I was a bit too positive on it because I felt like I had to sort of push back against this sheltered way of looking at this film, this tunnel vision way of reviewing a film and the critics who have had this sort of approach and just saying it promotes violence and all this crap, they've really just ashamed themselves in terms of supposedly being someone who is a cinephile, like who knows and loves film because clearly they they didn't give this film a proper go um or they wrote the article before seeing the movie absolutely because <laughs> which i, I, I genuinely think was there's, a thing. there's plenty of good stuff in yeah. it and and yeah as you said jaunty and it's funny because i feel like you've gone more positive and i've probably come more negative but i feel like maybe we're in the same spot now um yeah probably is, that's what it feels is like is that i i think it's a yeah. a good film um with flaws but what i will say is in terms of what the maybe not after hearing what you've said about the 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 script um or the screenplay but i would say i think that i am the audience that todd phillips wrote this film for i think i am apart maybe if i had a little less comic book knowledge then i would be perfect um because some of my criticisms do come from the fact that um it betrays the source material a little bit um and if jaunty as you said if they went all out and just at the end kind of put a finger up to the source material like ironically i'd be more satisfied with that because i'd be like okay so yeah. you're not trying to do it okay cool we're on the same page how awesome would that ending be yeah. like i be when amazing. you first said that i'd be like well that doesn't really make sense and then i was like oh yeah good good it doesn't make sense like it's not trying to fit all the puzzle pieces together um but yeah i mm. i I really do like this film. Um, and David, I don't know if you've got any thoughts after hearing all those criticisms, whether any of them resonated. No, man. I mean, I mean, like, I feel like these are all 
like you you guys brought a lot of like insight into the film like someone that didn't know about all this controversy i've just legit seen the film so it's like it's a lot for me to just like process right now i mean like there's a lot of things that i agree with like the i mean the thing about like what we just talked about of like promoting violence and stuff like i, I can't believe that it even came up that's the only thought can i, I can like i just read you so like, when i looked up i feel like the focus sorry sorry david when i looked yeah. up this film to try and find an example of this this is the first one that i found okay and i'm going to read this word for word i'm not going to add anything i'm just going to read it and you tell me whether it's okay. fair this is the wrong time for joker in an era of mass shootings, is it right to do a glorification story about a mentally ill white man who is so damaged by society that he eventually becomes a killer? Oh, wow. <laughs> like, tell what me do you that even there's no agenda. Listen, can't David, see, David, David, listen tell me there's can't no agenda. Our faces. Tell me there's no agenda there. Tell me there's oh. no agenda. <sighs> mm. Like... Oh, man. You know what I reckon, actually, and, and yeah. this is kind of on, on the topic. I, I think the uh, the the last act where he goes on the talk show. Mm. I actually think if these people stopped and thought a little bit more about the argument they're trying to make, that scene probably would have more um, subtext and material for them to dive into. I agree because. Even before, and I'm assuming everyone that's listening to this has, I mean, we've already dropped spoilers, but spoilers. <laughs> Even before he shoots Robert De Niro in the face on live TV, there is so much, and this is one of the things I, I just cannot give enough praise to this movie for. Throughout the whole movie, we're dropping hints about, is he going to shoot himself? Even mm. before the, the, the talk mm, show, is, mm, is he going to mm. shoot himself? Is he going to shoot yeah. more people in public, like the, the Wall Street dudes on the train? Is he going to shoot Murray? Mm. We don't know. And all of a sudden, we're in this situation where all of those situations are possible and could happen at any second. Mm. Is he going to shoot himself on live TV? Is mm. he going to shoot Murray? Is he going to turn around and start spraying bullets into the audience? He's such a crazy, unhinged character at this point that all of those things are possibilities. And I think if we're going to call this movie dangerous... It's for a reason separate to what people have been saying. In that moment, all of us, um, for me personally, I started to think to myself, shoot Robert De Niro, do it. He's an asshole. And I'm going, wow. oh my God, the movie just made me think like mm. Arthur Fleck. The movie put me into that character's shoes but, but and was asking yeah. me to empathize with a character but, that but is that's so unhinged. The thing. That's the thing. And I don't think that that is bad. No, I think it's really positive. Yes, so do I. So yeah. do I. I like, I, I don't think it's bad to try and see things from someone's perspective who is completely in the wrong. Because this movie is like the way people review this is all about sort of the black and white perspective and this movie does its best at every point to avoid that. Every point it avoids, it stays in the morally grey consistently. And that is why it's so clever. That is why you're able to empathise with a psychopath. Yeah. And I, mm. I feel bad. I've said this before. I feel bad ripping on this movie in any way because name, a, name another 
movie that has been this successful in the last 10 years that has been that subversive on that level mm. with its main character asking you to identify with and feel sympathy for someone that repulsive. And it works. And it works. Like, we make more movies like that. Yes. Like, that. that's really, really important and, mm. you know, enriching for people to experience. And we just don't get that nearly as much as we used to in cinema. So, before we start yeah. talking about something that I think does a has a big role to play in our connection with Arthur's character, which is the score. I just want to mention a few other sort of deep cuts from the comics, um, which I I thought were, I appreciated these ones actually, which I forgot to mention. So um, there's another story called The Dark Knight Returns, which is um, an an older story than The Killing Joke, but oh, actually, is it older? It's Frank Miller, right? Yeah. One? Um, yeah. I actually don't know whether it's old or not. Um, it's one of one of two Batman comics that I've actually read. It, so it that's is two a, from two. It's a very famous Batman <laughs> story, and it was quite definitive in terms yeah, of the direction same. that Batman yeah. took. I'm almost certain that it was older. Um, I think I'm just doubting myself. Um, but what what was interesting about that is that the Joker um, actually fakes his own um recovery from mental illness and then he goes on to a talk show um and when he goes on to the talk show he releases a poison gas and kills everyone within the audience but the kill show it's it's actually sort of a spoof on david letterman um but it's it's very similar to the film it's, it feels very similar tone and he goes on to the talk show and there is a sex therapist who has been talking on there before which is exactly who is on the film before um and he goes and he kisses the sex therapist which is what he does in in the film the only yeah. difference is that when he kills uh, when he kisses the sex therapist in the the dark knight returns the therapist dies because he has poison on his lips um but right. i just thought that was quite interesting that um because i remember seeing that talk show in the trailer and as soon as i saw it it just gave me vibes straight away of dark knight returns yeah, and yeah. i just i thought well, geez how how are they gonna because i know that he massacred the whole audience in that um and that was like this is what i'm talking about with the joker that was his idea of a joke in in the this is in from the comics it's just like surprise i'm not actually recovered i'm gonna kill everyone in the audience that was his idea of the joke so like th this idea that the joker is a funny character is actually not that accurate with the comics um he's often his idea of humor is incredibly twisted um and he's oh, yeah. the only one who gets it which does line up in terms of what they were doing in the film but i just wanted to touch on that um something that i did appreciate uh some references from the comics before heading mm. into talk about the score from our good friend hilda get the, get the, get the wiki up just yeah. to make sure yeah um who is an icelandic musician and composer um she plays the cello that is in this um in this film so the cello that you're hearing is is played and composed by her and it is just gorgeous um yeah shout out to our girl i don't know how much more i can say other than <laughs> the score for me is as brilliant as joaquin phoenix's performance it wow. is just mm. phenomenal in the most simplistic minimalistic way just gorgeous and i have i'm not a, i'm not one of these score junkies which gets obsessed with this but when joaquin phoenix goes into that bathroom scene and begins to dance yeah the hair on my body just stood it just 
standing ovation, the, the hairs on my body. Like it was just, ah, oh, it was so a- beautifully horrific. It's um, such a good moment, yeah. And uh, I, yeah, if the if the rest of the film was trash and it was just that scene, I think I'd still love this film because that scene just blew me away, and it just every kind of emotion was inside of me. The feeling of sympathy towards him, the feeling of horror, the feeling of dread of like this is it, this is where it all goes downhill, and the feeling of shock seeing that he just killed people mm. and this is his reaction. His thoughts. Yeah. And, and and just so and but at the same time the feeling of calm that like that he was feeling like the the feeling that he just got his fix that this was stronger than any medication he could ever have was murder and like it, it was yeah oh, it's just so yeah, much not just murder for the first time in his life at that point he feels like that his actions have had consequence mm. His life has been one of no one ever noticed. That's him. what he says. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For the f- I, yeah, I, I don't remember the exact quote in the movie, yeah. but when he shoots those guys on the train, yeah. that's the, so, for so the first time says, in his he life. Says, All my life, um, I been I haven't even known whether I existed, but now I know that I do. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. people yeah. are starting to notice. To the social worker, right? Yeah. That's what he says. Now people, are, yeah. Yeah, people so. are starting to notice. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on the score. I mean, I love the score throughout, um, and it does get pretty intense at times. But for me, that is the pinnacle of the score is in this particular moment in that bathroom scene. Yeah, I mean, there, there's an old joke about cellos in movies that, like, when, once you crack the cellos out, it, you're really pandering to like the <laughs> highest level of emotional manipulation. <laughs> But credit to this score that it yes. never feels, it doesn't feel like it's you know, doing that. It's it's funny because two of my favorite um, orchestral scores are both cellos, but they're very different. And ironically, they're both DC. But my other favorite cello theme, which I really love, is the Wonder Woman theme from the first Wonder Woman movie. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you what this is called because I just think it's fantastic. Um cello but it's completely different and this is like an electric cello um i think it it might just be called main theme um i might just play a snippet of here if i'm allowed um Uh, that's not it (laughs) that's an ad (laughs) beautiful (laughs) this week sponsored by (laughs) oh yeah yeah so complete com- doesn't this come out every time she's in like action well, this, this is the thing right like, but it, it completely yeah. completely different but just the cello is such a versatile instrument i really love it um and yeah it just made me think when you were talking about bringing out the cello and how it can draw out all the different emotions because absolutely like that brings out like an intensity in me and i'm just like yeah let's go and then this one brings (laughs) out like that weird sort of like um yeah i I can't even tell you what it makes me feel because it's so many things Mm. yeah yeah just on that if if i can I don't know if you guys saw the the Zack Snyder's Justice League. Yeah, I did. Um, I 
it got to the point where I found it funny and I'd just start laughing because whenever Wonder Woman showed up in yeah. any situation, that would start playing. <laughs> it's such a good theme, though. It's just like- It's awesome, but it. they just they just overdid it so hard. Well, it's like, I, I actually didn't Oh, I wonder where it. Wonder Woman is, and then the music starts playing. Oh, there she is. I didn't mind it because <laughs> yeah. they didn't use it at all in her second movie. So, I, for me, it sort of oh. sort of made up for it because that second movie was such a disappointment. Um, but oh, that's so, another podcast. It's awful. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> the 19, what was it called? 1984. Yeah. That was a bad that movie. That was pretty trash. Movie. Like, she's too strong. Like, she's she she developed Dude, so many I powers. I love the sword and shield. And they're just like, no, it's too aggressive. Let's just use the, the lasso. And it's just like, dude, the sword and shield. Like, this woman is a warrior. And then you're like, you take that away from her? Like, ah, oh, it's just. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah, but- we're getting a bit distracted. But um, <laughs> David, do you have any thoughts on the score? You, you haven't said much. Yeah, I feel like everything that, like, I've just been missing the openings, but yeah, I can't say it better than you. I think I, I can relate to how you felt because I think it made me question, like, is he dancing? Like, it's interesting to hear that you guys thought it's him dancing out of joy or like dancing out of relief. But I was, I thought every time or well, a lot of the times he danced, it was out of like... Or in that scene, I thought it was out of like trying to block out what had just happened. Mm. Maybe because I thought he was still in a very, um, you know, his moral compass wasn't completely shattered at that point. Even though he just murdered, like there's a part of me that thought, uh, like maybe I'm pushing it because he did chase after the third guy and then, you know, no, made no, no, sure no. he was no, dead. I, I, I totally you know? see where you're coming from. And I do get that you know sense I mean? that it yeah. is almost like um, sort of to stretch it into the things that I talk about. It is kind of like a mindfulness sort of grounding thing that he does. Um, and and I, I do agree yeah. with that. I, but I think that it, it changes into something as he continues because I do, because he starts like it is, he's panicking. He's just run into the toilet. He's slammed the door. Yeah. He's terrified, right? He's just run all the way from the subway to this bathroom. Mm, so mm, I do mm. think that he is trying to sort of calm himself down, but I think once he yeah. does calm down a bit, he, once he like looks in the mirror he and sees himself and yeah. he's, he's just like, he's, he sees himself as beautiful at that moment. Um, it's catharsis. Yes. Um, and I think... Mm, mm, good word. Yeah. yeah. So, I, I do agree with you, David. I th- But I think the reason probably why, like, all of us are feeling so many different things is probably because that character is feeling so many different things at that time as well. It's not just us. Um, it's, and it's, that's such a positive yeah. thing. Yes. That three different people can watch the same movie and have and get, yeah. different but equally valid and rich understandings of what's going on. Like, that's yeah. not, not enough movies... Awesome. Do that Absolutely. to their audiences these days. So Absolutely. Yeah. Well, guys, I don't know if there's too much more to say on this film. I don't know if there are any yeah. additional scenes that we want to give shout outs mm. to because there's a number of really great scenes. Um, I do have one one last criticism that I would like to like to point <laughs> out. And that is, and I've, I've mentioned this please. before, I I do get a little frustrated with the indie film trope of well, what's really real? I don't like that trope. I feel like it's a cop-out. Um, and ironically, the three films that we've reviewed, um, Eternal Sunshine, um, The Lighthouse, and Joker, yeah. all three of yeah, them actually, use that, yeah. that technique of like, 
But what's really real? It's up to your interpretation. (laughs) And to me, I just think it's lazy writing at times. Um, And Joker doesn't do it too hard. And it, it mostly answers the question of what's real. But I have heard plenty of people have the idea that he never left the hospital that the whole film is a figment of his imagination. And I wish I didn't hear that because I don't want to think that that was the intention because that's just like, it's funny how John T, you'll know this, like in writing, everyone always criticizes the idea of, and then he woke up or, and then they woke up or whatever. Like, and it was all a dream. And everyone always criticizes that. And they're just like, well, that's such a childish way to write. But then in films, when films do it, and it's just like, well, what's really real? Like, no one seems to criticize it as much as I feel like I criticize it. Like I, I just, I, I like the idea of sort of playing with reality a bit, but at times it, it's, it feels like it's not really a plot device. It's kind of just like a cop out of just like, well, if you didn't like it, maybe it's something else you come up with it, you know? I think, I mean, in, in just in response to that, the, the, it was all a dream thing. I, I agree. It is so often used as like just a cop out ending and i don't like that reading of this movie i think it Mm. that that's an example where if that is the case a it's lazy writing but b what does that mean it's but it's also not even that well communicated in the script if that is how you're meant to read it um but the flip side of that is it can be an incredibly um i i love that there's an expression that the movie exists beyond the credits that you carry it with you and you keep thinking about it and Mm. you, um, when you do it well, it's not just, you get to the end and go, I don't know how to finish it or what the take. Oh, it was all a dream. Just wrap it up there. That's lazy. (laughs) But if it's part of the buildup and the fabric and the structure of the narrative that you're telling, so I'm thinking off the top of my head, if if my girlfriend Claire's listening, she's going to roll her eyes to the back of her head at this point. But my favorite, property ever is twin peaks Mm. dreams and the subconscious and supernatural stuff is baked into the narrative and structure of the story and i have another example which is inception um the way way another great example finishes it's brilliant because because it's not like is this all not real because we know in that film that even the stuff that's happening that isn't real is still real it still has major impacts so whether it's based in Mm. the highest reality or not is kind of irrelevant because it's still affecting the characters within the story um but it's still kind of just like wait does that mean this whole thing wasn't happening at the highest reality um but yeah please go Mm. on jonty yeah no i was i was just that was basically it and it, when it's done well and when it's done appropriately, what it's doing is asking you... It, it's not just in a narrative sense that it's asking you to question, you know, whether it's Inception or whatever. Oh, was it all at the highest level? Whatever it is. What it's actually also asking you to do is re-engage with the story again from a different perspective. Yeah. And I think that's really exciting whenever that happens when it's done well because you know that from a storytelling point of view, there is more that the story is asking you to engage with than you were able to engage with the first time through. And that's really exciting. No, no, that's fair enough. And Mm -hmm. and I do suppose something like Eternal Sunshine, it does, the the second watch is dramatically different. Like it's very different Mm -hmm. because the first watch you are just quite confused for the first sort of like, 
the first 20 minutes are weird the first time. But like, but even you could yeah. even argue the first sort of two thirds don't really make sense. And then the last third, unless you've kind of figured it out ahead of time, the last third is when it starts telling you what's actually yes. happening. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's very, very, yeah. very interesting. Um, and I, I just don't want to really think about that theory that, yeah. It's like all the dreams. Yeah. There, there's there is an element that is actually in the movie which kind of uh touches on this as well. The the reveal that the lady next door that's, Sophie, that's what I was uh, Sophie. Yeah, yeah. That reveal I don't think is well done. That's that's in my mind an example of playing around with the reality of the storytelling in a way that doesn't feel well thought out and planned. Mm. Um because mm. we know that he has um, delusions. We have the first one when he's pretending he's on the talk show at home, and then we cut to him. Yeah. At and the I talk think show. that one is good. That one is that one's great. really good. Yeah. But we're then asked to be surprised when there's this reveal that he hasn't actually engaged yeah. in a relationship at all with Sophie. And it's like, well, of course, he has delusions. And, and it, it also it doesn't carry the weight because the, the reason why that Murray one carries so much weight is because it shows from the start that. He is desperate for a father figure and he sees Murray mm. as his father figure. Um, even if his mum sees Thomas Wayne as his father figure, he never sees Thomas Wayne as his father figure. He always says, why do you care about this guy? He sees Murray as his yeah. father figure. And that's what he says like at the start when, when when Murray like embraces him and stuff like, and he gives him a hug and like, he looks like he's almost in tears. Well, he yeah. literally says, I'd be proud to have you as a son yeah. or and, something and, along those and lines. And he yeah. defends yeah. him in front of everyone else. Whereas in reality, he ob- like, he intentionally objectifies him in front of everyone else. He like does yeah. exactly the opposite what of what he had fantasized him doing. So that one does make sense. I agree that- it feels a little bit pointless. Um, I, I'm not against it, but I feel like it could have been fleshed out more. Um, my, my main issue is that it doesn't succeed at, at what it's trying to achieve. I got to admit, it's, it's, I, it's, I feel like I was one of the only people who didn't see it coming. <laughs> okay. Well, in, in that sense, maybe it did achieve that. I, but didn't, I, didn't, yeah, I didn't see it coming. But well. I know, yeah, I know so, that everyone that yeah. I was in the theatre with... Well, the people that I went with, they all saw it coming. Um, I, I, I think I was just so invested in Joaquin Phoenix's, Phoenix's character that I didn't really care about anyone else on screen on that first watch. I was mm. just fixated on him. And so I didn't really pick up on some of the s- signals that she wasn't real. Well, she mm. is real, but that the relationship itself isn't real. Um, I just thought it was a bit strange and that she was a bit like messed up as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just, for me, that moment is, you know, I, I guess failure is a strong word, but that's mm. a failure in achieving what they're setting out to do yeah. in that reveal. Question. Uh, it, was, it was pretty obvious to me. Does yeah. he kill her? Ooh. I think he does. I don't think so. I think he does. And I think that the in the next scene, mm. he's in his bedroom and the police sirens, you can hear police and ambulance sirens. I think that that's them coming to pick up a dead body. Interesting. I hadn't thought really? about that. I thought about that in the cinema, like, because I was looking for any kind of sign that she's dead. And then quite noticeably, they're quite loud. The sirens go yeah, past. Yeah. Um, and I feel oh. like there was some kind of call to say something's happened here. Um, There's another moment mm-hmm. earlier in the movie. Um, he's in an alleyway kicking something yeah. that's hidden behind garbage 
And the reason I, I, I this reminds me of that moment mm. as well because it's a similar thing. And and in the script, it literally says he kicks uh, something again and again, harder and harder. But then it literally says, "Is it garbage? Is it a body? Is it a cat or something?" And so, but that that aside, that oh. idea that that's an, that kind of mirrors that idea for me, where it's. And that could actually lend some credence to the idea that he does kill her because we've seen before oh. potentially him doing something horrific off screen or just out of view. Mm. Um, so, I, I hadn't even thought about I, that. I with, didn't with see Sophie. that as a body. I thought Same. he was just taking out his anger on some yeah. rubbish. Yeah. But, yeah. Mm. yeah. Anyway. Because I, I thought he was kicking the bin. Yeah. And I don't think he kills the the imaginary girlfriend who does exist, but- he makes it up in his head. I don't think... Because, like, I thought it was more out of... Like, he's so shocked that he... Like, he's, like his reality... His reality is coming to reality. Like, what he made up in his mind is breaking down and, like, it's being revealed. Like, the first thing is, like, the joke that... Like, the he stand-up, first time going up to stand-up, him thinking it was so great gets break down when it's revealed in, on the Murray show. And then now the girlfriend, the ideal girlfriend who he stalked and then she finds it funny or okay. like, like <laughs> yeah, 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 okay. Like, did you follow me today? And then I, I thought it was so bizarre, but then it makes sense when the reveal is like, it was all in his mind. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I thought, yeah. Anyway, guys, we should probably yeah. bring this to a close. I know there's still things that we could talk about more, but we've been going for, for quite some time now. Um, I've really enjoyed this particular review and I think the new structures worked a lot better. Um, I hope that mm. listeners will agree with us. Um, but any final thoughts on this film? Um, and we'll just give it a, a rating out of out of 10 as we have started doing with this film. So I'll, I'll begin and just say, for me, I would give this film a... Eight and a half, maybe nine, but probably eight and a half out of ten. Um, and yeah, my final thoughts are: there are flaws in this film, absolutely. But I think that in terms of what the vision of this film and what the intention of this film, I think it did exactly to me what it was supposed to do. And in that sense, um, it's very successful. And I give full credit to Todd Phillips, Joaquin Phoenix, and the whole team. Um, yeah, really, really think this is a an underrated and overrated piece of art, but more so, I think, underrated yeah. than overrated. Right. John T, what are your thoughts? I mean, I stand by what I said earlier. I think that the context and the culture like, and the conversation around this movie as it came out and that we're continuing to have today, honestly, I find as interesting, if not maybe mm. a little bit more interesting than the movie itself. I think the movie has some great, like the final act is fantastic, but I yeah. just think it's quite sloppy and heavy handed in, in particularly its first half. Um, so, you know, and again, I don't want to sound too heavy on it because I think we should, you know, more movies like this need to be made. Yes. Um, like this is yeah. a Push good boundaries. Thing. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, if I was going to give it a rating out of 10, I'd say probably a seven, seven and a half. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I don't want to sound like I'm too down on it because I think it's, it's a good thing for movies. Um, I just don't love mm. elements of it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Wow. Well, as someone who watched it with minimal knowledge of what was really out there and what people were saying and someone who just saw the film um, to understand what the hype was about and just try to understand it in my own perspective, I guess. I thought it was a solid nine. Like, I highly recommend if people haven't watched it and you guys, if listeners listen to up to this point, I highly recommend the film. If you want to feel, if you want to think, if you want to see and like, you know, go through like a roller coaster of emotions, I think it's a fantastic film to just sit down and watch by yourself. I mean, you can watch it with someone else, but I think this is a film that you can really appreciate if you just, you know, have time and have Amazon Prime because you can watch it. Hey, this was this yeah. was a date movie for me. It was a poor choice. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, don't don't do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm um I'm just gonna readjust my rating. I'm gonna go for somewhere between eight and eight point five. So we'll go eight point three. Um, so I've just bumped yeah. mine down slightly. Um, just because I just sort of thought Seven, a bit eight, more nine. about it. Um, but yeah, I, I I would I would go for there. So because I I just I do really. I think I, I have an emotional attachment to this film because I see all the best bits and I really mm. want it to be that. Mm. But it does at times just not quite hold up to its strengths. Its strengths are phenomenal. Agreed. Its weaknesses yeah. are just a bit disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but for me, I, I definitely, the strengths definitely outweigh the weaknesses. Um, so an eight out yeah. of 10, I think still very strong rating. That's a four mm. out of five. Yeah. So, um, yeah. That's 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 all for me, guys. Yeah, I, I have that's I have one final thought. Um, yes, you guys reviewed Parasite on the podcast, right? Oh, we did as well. We reviewed four films, haven't we? Um, that won Best Picture the same year that this was nominated, and yes, I actually well. think that is more interesting than people give credit for, because I think Parasite does a lot of what this movie is trying to do in a much more accessible and well-crafted way. Hmm. So I think it might be interesting. I'll have to go back and re-listen to the, the Parasite podcast to revisit Parasite. Um, in the sense that sort of like people end up doing really bad things and it's not necessarily their fault. It's it's all not, about- Not not, the, not their fault, but it's not, it, it's, a, it's often as much circumstance as it is the people in yeah, the circumstance. It, it's, a, yeah. it's about what sort of a society- um, breeds such a difference in class yeah. and the conflict that that can huh. create. Um, yeah, wow. So, yeah, I, just, I, I had that that's thought and it might be interesting, interesting to interesting point. go back and revisit it. That's a very interesting comparison. Yeah. I had definitely not picked up on that, but um, I guess that's why we bring you on, John T. <laughs> yeah, that's why we need film connoisseurs like yourself, John T. So, before we fully I'll take wrap I'll up take this podcast, John T, <laughs> why don't you talk to us a little bit about you as a film connoisseur and what, what you're doing where people can find you. Um, yeah. What's, what's happening at Blue Rose Film? Yeah. So I, um, I, I run an Instagram page and a blog um, called Blue Rose Film Review. Um, yeah. I try and post at least once a day, just highlighting movies that I either like or don't like. And I talk a bit about why I do or don't like them. And uh, I'm trying to get a little bit more into um, scores as well recently because I'm also, um, uh, deep into the music world. Um, mm, mm. So that's something I'm trying to get 
a little bit more into these days. Um, yeah, I, I try and engage as much as possible with, with followers there as well. So I do like polls and have conversations and try and spark, you know, good conversation and, and, and healthy argument and, uh, with my followers about, about different movies. Um, so yeah, you can find me there at, uh, bluerose.filmreview I think is the handle um, and over on the blog I do more sort of in-depth uh, I review new movies mm. um, as they come out um, yeah. if I manage to see them and I sort of do lists and retrospectives and essays and that sort of thing um, which I think is bluerose.filmreview.com or just bluerose.com yeah you, the, the link to it is in the Instagram. You can go find it there. <laughs> I've got Absolutely, a domain yeah. for something. I don't remember exactly what we, it is. <laughs> we, will, we will put the links within this um, description for the show. So, please just scroll down and find those yeah. there. Yeah. Come um, come argue with me. I'm all about it. Like, let's, let's discuss movies. <laughs> Absolutely. And John T is very dedicated in fact the amount of content he puts puts up just puts david and i to shame absolutely yeah. so um i'm always very impressed by how much he manages to flood my feed so um <laughs> yeah get around it um and definitely some of those stories are always good to see some comparisons i think you actually did one recently where you were doing a competition in terms of like um favorite films and joker was one of the finalists wasn't it yeah so that was a um i i put together a, a list of like all the movies that were nominated for best picture that year. And then mm, that's right. Yeah, and then yeah. a bunch more that weren't nominated, but were among the best movies of that year. And we just did like a, we voted for an alternate 2019 best picture. And yeah, Joker was in the final four, I think. So yeah. 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 Who won that one. Uh, yeah, the won? lighthouse, I think, or maybe, ah, no, right. no, maybe it was parasite. I can't, it was lighthouse and parasite in the final. So I'm pretty sure. Alternate. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'd have to go back and have a look, but it was one of those. Yeah. Two. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's funny. Uh, most of the films that we the, reviewed have come fourth. out in 2019. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was just about to say, yeah. The top, the it was three a good, films good that were on film. the top four. Good year for film. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, let's call, call it, uh, call it quits there. Thank cool. you so much, Jonty, for coming on. Of and course. Chatting yeah. to us about this. Yeah, divisive and important film, shall we say, impactful film. Um, I think, yeah, we've all we're all on the positive side, but with differing levels, which is always good. Um, and yeah, thank you, Todd Phillips and Joaquin Phoenix in particular for giving us such a um, interesting film to to discuss. Um, anything else from you guys? Nah, just thanks for having me on again, uh, guys. Loved it absolutely, Jonty. Yeah. Thanks for sharing your your wisdom, yeah, your yeah. knowledge, and your insights. My pleasure, David. Sweet. Cool. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't have much else to say. We've said so... Well, you guys have said so much about the film. I feel like, yeah. Then, then wrap it up, David. It, yeah. Wrap this bad boy up. Well, thanks, guys, for joining once again. I hope you guys enjoyed this new format of um, movie reviews, uh, movie review that we have done today. Um, join us next week where we have a fun and new exciting episode of Tan. Thanks for joining. Peace. 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 Peace.